This episode of Trapital is brought to you by our friends at Banzoogle. Every artist needs a home on the internet that's not their social media page. But they also need a solution that's easy and effective. On Banzoogle, you can build a stunning website and online store in minutes. Use their customizable templates to sell your music, merch, and tickets with no commission fee. You can grow your email list, integrate your online profiles, and access their fan data to learn more about your superfans. In Banzoogle, it's home to over 60,000 musicians and has generated over $120 million in commission-free sales and counting. That's more money directly in your pocket. Trapital listeners get a special offer. Use the promo code TRAPITAL to get 15% off the first year of any subscription plan on Banzoogle. Start your free 30-day trial at banzoogle.com, promo code TRAPITAL. That's B-A-N-D-Z-O-O-G-L-E.com, promo code T-R-A-P-I-T-A-L. Or you can visit the link in our show notes. Once you start talking about fan distribution, then you've put your first foot on the ladder of exploring what fandom really means. Little Uzi, the top 7% of your fans generated 70% of your revenue, is perhaps the first real mathematical description of fandom we've ever had. Hey, welcome to Trapital. I'm your host, Dan Runcy. This is your place to gain insights on the business that shapes music, media, and culture. We dive deep into the companies and moguls who start the trends that shape the rest of the business world. We keep hearing about super fans and how important they are for an artist, but we rarely see the data behind that that can quantify and show just how valuable those super fans are. Well, in this episode, we get into all of that and more with friend of the pod, Will Page. He's the author of Pivot, he's the former chief economist at Spotify, and he's the author of this new report, SoundCloud Rocknomics. This is the second in his Rocknomics series, The first one was about Twitch. This one about SoundCloud, he had exclusive access to SoundCloud's fan-powered royalties data. That's SoundCloud's user-centric model, where he was able to see the percentage breakdowns of just how impactful this is. We also talk about streaming fraud and the opportunities for record labels, DSPs, and the broader industry to get intimate with this data and bring that connection closer. This is a really fun conversation, so let's dive in to SoundCloud Rocknomics. All right, today we're here to talk about a number of topics. We're here to talk about streaming. We're here to talk about different streaming models, fraud, SoundCloud Rocknomics, and more. And here, joined by friend of the pod, you're always welcome here. And he is recording from a very fancy location. This is Will Page. Will, welcome to the podcast. Great to be here, recording live and direct from Talyard Studios in London, which for many Americans listening, should you come to this fine city, is a a campus of about 300 music companies, from Noel Gallagher to Apple to SoundCloud. They're all here. And a brewery. If you're going to have a lot of music companies, you need a brewery. And uh, I'm recording at their fantastic podcasting studios as well. So my thanks to Talyard for hosting, and thanks for Trapital for the invitation. Before we get too into it, let's start from a high level. Why was this an important report for you to dive into? And why for me this is a game-changing report is because SoundCloud have actually put user-centric into action. And I want to repeat myself here when I say, when you change the rules, you change the game. 
So we've discussed user-centric, artist-centric many, many times, but a lot of the discussions are retrospectively. What would happen to the history if you changed the rules today? And I'm guilty of that myself. I've done 65-page reports on what user-centric would look like on Spotify. But it's only when you change the rules and you watch how the game changes do you understand what this means. And that's what SoundCloud's done. They've implemented fan-powered royalties, their version of user-centric. They've got major labels, small labels, joining and participating in this experiment. And what makes this so exciting for me, Dan, and for Trapital listeners, is now we have results. So we just elevated the conversation up more than just a couple of notches, because now we've seen what happens when you change rules, when we watch how the game is played. That's what makes this one a hot ticket. And for the folks listening, most of you know this, but for some additional context, the predominant way that music streaming payments have been distributed is through the pro rata model. That has been the standard for years. Everyone submits their money into this pool. This pool becomes this larger pool, and then it gets distributed based upon the number of streams that each artist catalog ends up generating, and then that again gets distributed to its rights holders. And I remember actually one of the first times that you and I had connected, I was sharing a few things. I think it was on LinkedIn about user-centric versus pro rata. And I remember you saying, listen, I could talk your ear off about this. And I think as most of us do that are deep thinkers in this space, when you're presented with new information, you could change your perspective. You could learn new things. So walk us through that journey a bit. You had said it yourself in terms of new data, new things that come through. What was that process like for you having written 60 plus page papers about this, but now you have a report that is different, but capturing where things are today. Well, let's just think about how the game changes when you change the rules. You know, how might an artist change their release schedule? How might, how might they change their marketing practices when you have a user-centric model, which is essentially lots and lots of mini fan clubs? You know, then on the consumer side, how does the consumer change when they know that their money is going to just their music when it's ring-fenced and it can't be distorted by the heavy user to the left of them or affected by the light user to the right of them when it's when it's a, a sole contract between their money and their music consumption? So you've got two forces at play down, which make this a really interesting story to follow. And credit to SoundCloud, because now they have the story, everybody else is left guessing what might have been, what might happen. Now we know. And that's, again, is just what's going to make unpacking this on Trapital so interesting. And I have to imagine that time has likely played a big factor in this too. When you had done some of those initial reports, the streaming landscape was very different. There were a fraction of the people that are currently listening to music that are now listening to it today. Things were at a very rapid growth state and streaming was not the majority revenue maker for the industry. Now it is. So I think there's a number of other factors that play into why this does look very different now. Yeah. And I really want to date the report. I mean, the results we're going to be discussing on the show really date back to 2022. The report was completed pretty much this time last year in 2023. There's been a lot of water under the bridge, as we say here in Britain. You know, we didn't know what AI music was going to be this time last year. We didn't know the term artist-centric this time last year. So a lot's happened. But I think what we're going to be getting into on this show has appreciated in value. It hasn't depreciated. It hasn't gathered moss. You know, the topic is hot right now, and now we've got some genuine results to, to work through. So it's really important that we understand we're talking about analysis conducted well over a year ago, um, but we're going to bring it to light. One of the interesting things about SoundCloud too, specifically in this regard, is that this has always been a platform for 
the tastemakers, a platform for the people that are seeing things early. You think about the SoundCloud rap era and how early the platform was there. And this is really something that you described in the report as lean forward music. These are for the active folks. These are for the people that are pushing things forward. And is there a super fan lesson in there about the type of user or the type of artist as well that uses a platform like SoundCloud? It's very important that when you work with a company like SoundCloud, great partners to work with, wonderful team, you tease out what makes them distinct. In fact, when I was introduced to Trapital, you were looking at the work that I did on Twitch. And I remember we had a very clear grid there about what made Twitch distinct from YouTube, what made Twitch distinct from Spotify, how on Twitch you owned your channel, you know, you set the price for your channel. Those were interesting distinctions. But maybe if you think about SoundCloud, you know, what makes that platform distinct? A few things. One, when I talk about lean in listening, it's lean in and it really is frontline. So we hear talk about how the music industry is like 80% catalog now. You get these headlines of old music is killing new music. On SoundCloud, it's really dominated by frontline listening. It's really dominated by not just frontline, but uber frontline. That is pre-release listening, private links of stuff that you're working on in the studio that you want to get feedback on. A bit like the gaming industry where you have the early adopter model. The game's not quite finished, but I want you to see where I've got to in the development stage. SoundCloud has a bit of that ethos in it too. The album's not quite ready, but I want to use here what I've done with it so far. A couple of other things is just in terms of the creator population of SoundCloud, this is crucial. SoundCloud has roughly 40 million creators named to its platform. If you look at Spotify's loud and clear, they claim 9 million. So you have a huge difference there in terms of the creator population. But the one stat that really made SoundCloud jump out at me and it will jump out at every one of your listeners is I used an app analytics company called Sensor Tower. These companies, App Annie, Apptopia, there's many of them. They're great. They, they allow you to look at app behavior on platforms. And with Sensor Tower, I was able to do something called app overlap. When you're using one app, what other apps are you using? And I looked at SoundCloud, and one in four people using SoundCloud, the app for listening, were also using Spotify for artists. Not Spotify, but Spotify for artists, an artist-verified program of tools to help you on Spotify. And I think that alone, that really does tell you a lot about, you know, we think about Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon from a creator perspective. If we're going to discuss SoundCloud for the next half hour, 40 minutes, we have to discuss it equally from the creator and the consumer perspective. This is a creator-driven platform as much as a consumer-driven platform. It really is a two-sided market in that way. And it's hard to distinguish between that and even calling it a DSP in that same type of way would be incomplete. And it's little things, Dan. It's like private links. I mean, that's just a tiny feature of SoundCloud's arsenal. But how important is it when an artist that you know that you have a bond with, we can discuss fandom surely at some point, how much does it mean when you're sent a private link to feel that music before it gets to the masses? That relationship doesn't really happen anywhere else. So yeah, these distinctions are really important. And maybe the last one, we discussed the creator, we've got to discuss the consumer. And I'm going to use the alcohol reference here, so apologies if it's early in California. But I want to stress that SoundCloud is complementary to the other platforms. It's gin and tonic. Very few people only listen to SoundCloud. They listen to SoundCloud to discover Billie Eilish, then they'll consume streaming Billie Eilish on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, YouTube. Ditto Post Malone, ditto countless other artists who have broken on SoundCloud, then found somewhere 
else to build up a much bigger home for themselves as well. So I think it's really important that we see how creator-driven it is, but how complementary to other platforms the consumer angle of this company is as well. And I think this too reminds me of the announcement they made when they were one of the first platforms to announce that they are launching fan-powered royalties, which was their version of user-centric. And so much of this was having that relationship between creator, between fan, and making it as seamless as possible. And I think part of the step in that is that your fans are the ones that are going to be able to drive the most value. And it may be a smaller percentage of them, but that percentage can actually move the needle for you. And I think it's something that a lot of people knew in theory, a bit of the 80-20 rule, the Pareto principle, but you have the data in this report that actually shows it when SoundCloud can come out and tell the creators, tell the artists they work with, not only do we know generally that your true fans are the ones that are moving the needle for you, but here's who they are, here's how much revenue they're generating as a result of that. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and the artist in question here is be a great supporter of Trapital, I'm sure, is Little Uzi Vert. Um, arguably a top 10 rapper in the United States, maybe even top five, and signed to Atlantic, Warners. And firstly, credit to Warner Music Group for being bold enough to explore fan-powered royalties. They're learning while everyone else is guessing, and they can do something with those learnings. Now, with Little Uzi Vert, a SoundCloud native, I think is the term that they use for him, um, what you have there is a story of in June and July 2022, he released an EP on SoundCloud. And I was interested in understanding how his fan distribution changed during a couple of months of that release schedule. Let's park up for a second. You and your guests have been discussing superfans constantly for the past year and a half even. That's great. It's a topic we got to have, but it does feel like we're talking a bit of a vacuum of no knowledge. And let me explain why. When you hear reports about find your super fans on Spotify, explore your super fans on the Amazons, Apples, Pandora's, YouTubes, you know how much those super fans are worth, Dan? They're worth exactly the same as everyone else because the pro rata model equalizes out the streams, the law of averages. So you've done a great job creating super fans and they're all worth the same half penny per stream as everyone else. That is not super fandom. And you can see the restlessness amongst rec labels, streaming services, the industry at large, which is we're in a straitjacket here. How do we know that some fans are worth more than others? When you leave that pro rata world and you explore user-centric, now we're talking. Now we're offering a treasure trove of learnings about fandom. And in the case of Little Uzi Verb, I use round numbers to make it easy for the listener. The report will go into more detail. The questions I posed were twofold. I said, what percentage of your fans on SoundCloud are true fans or super fans? And that is a metric which SoundCloud own, but I'll just talk lightly to it. The concentration of listening and an earning threshold. Remember, it's my bank account, my money going to just my music. How much of my time was spent with that artist, how much of my money was went to that artist. If I pass that threshold, I would qualify as a super fan. So how many of your fans are super fans? The intuitive question one. Slightly less intuitively, what share of your revenue came from those super fans? Question two. Question three, how did that change over time? So in the first month under analysis, we saw that 5% of his fans were super fans and generated 50% of his revenue. Add in the marketing campaign, the release schedule, the big push to these super fans. What did he achieve in month two? 
7% of his fans are now super fans, generating 70% of his revenue. Dan, that's really important. Once you start talking about fan distribution, then you've put your first foot on the ladder of exploring what fandom really means. And to say, little Uzi, 7% of your fans, the top 7% of your fans generated 70% of your revenue is perhaps the first real mathematical description of fandom we've ever had. It's big, it's breakthrough. Did those numbers surprise you? I think you alluded to the Pareto rule earlier and you're thinking that it's going to be a small number generates a big number. That's how long tails work. It did. I, it was interesting to think such a small portion of your fan base could generate such a large chunk of your cash. The long tail would be that skinny, the head, the head of the distribution would be that heavy. Then you learn from the gaming industry and how the gaming industry might have a huge long tail, but make a massive amount of money from a very small, strong head. I don't know, it, it was interesting. I start with a blank sheet of paper with no preconceptions, but I'm really, really thrilled to be able to present to the industry, especially on Trapital. I think we can now have a proper conversation about fandom because we've got some numbers that we can wrestle with as well. That's the main thing. I can say to this artist, the top 7% generate 70. On the pro rata model, what can I say? You want coffee? <laughs> <laughs> of course, we knew generally speaking, again, but broad strokes terms doesn't give us the actual details behind it. So it was interesting to see. But then again, someone could have assumed that it was 20%, but 20% is very different than seven. So the fact that you can show the numbers is key here. And the other thing that stuck out to me from the report is that 10% of Uzi super fans only listen to Uzi because that's another broad strokes thing that's been talked about. Everyone's talking about, well, you have your super fans, you have your super fans. Well, super fans for some artists are very different because some artists actually have fans where they are the number one person that they're a fan of, but other artists can have a number of people that can be their super fan. And when it comes to actually monetizing and building a business around this fandom, it can get a bit lean in different ways depending on how strong that fan is but now you have data that actually shows for a major artist like this how many people are only listening to him and that's a really powerful stat maybe there's three things i need to unpack around that observation um firstly just remember what i said up front this is a complimentary service so i might just be all in on little uzi during the month of june july 2022 on soundcloud but listening to a ton of stuff on Spotify at the same time. We don't know. We don't know. We are not able to track that type of listening ship. But that's an important consideration. Secondly, the other thing that you can do with fan distribution, and I present this in the work, is that as those new fans come in from month one to month two, who are they? Are you populating your fan base with passive fans or super fans? So you can segment new fan analysis as the months roll by. That sounds a bit complex and technical, but imagine filtering that down to the marketing department of a record label. Now I know how I'm growing my garden. Now I know what type of fan base I'm bringing in. That could be gold. And then three, if I flip back to the pro rata model, that point about people who join a service and only listen to one fan, I can remember the debates at Spotify about user-centric going on and on and on. And uh, I remember pointing out there'd be a, a lot of people who join Spotify who might only stream Drake, of which there probably are still, okay? People are saying user-centric would help because it's fairer for the little guy if we have a user-centric model. And I said, well, you understand that would make Drake even richer. And their gut reaction was, that's unfair. Well, hold on. What do you mean by fairness here? This is an abstract concept. Is fairness to help the little guy or is fairness the model itself? So it's worth remembering those sole listeners exist in SoundCloud 
and in Spotify as well. And they'll have different impacts because one is user-centric and one is pro-rata. So what makes it so exciting is now we can actually get to grips with this topic for once. Right. And I think that's an important distinction too, because if someone is only listening to that artist on SoundCloud, you're right. They likely may have accounts in other streaming services and that streaming behavior could be different. As we said, SoundCloud itself is a unique service there. The other thing that did stick out with this though is one of the broader narratives around the switch to user-centric is that it would be the major artist on the major record labels that would get hurt in favor of the smaller artists. Where here we have one of the biggest artists on streaming in one of the most popular genres, hip-hop, that has clearly been able to show the benefit with this comparison that we've seen. Granted, we may not be able to see the overall payouts themselves, but this is still very important and an important distinction to show because we're going to talk about some other artists too. But the fact that one of the biggest rappers in the world has been able to see the benefits of this says a lot. Absolutely. And to reiterate the point I made at start, and I'll repeat myself again, when you change the rules, you change the game. With Little Uzi, we got to see how that game's been played. We've never seen that before. That's the key thing. Let's take a quick break for this week's chart metric stat of the episode. The top five most streamed artists of 2023 on SoundCloud were, in order, NBA Youngboy, Juice World, Rod Wave, Yeet, and Suicide Boys. But when we compare that to those artists' chart metric artists rank, the numbers are quite different. As of Monday, January 29th, 2024, NBA Youngboy is the 138th artist on that list. Juice World is 101st, Rod Wave is 502nd, Yeet is 454th, and Suicide Boys are 640th. It's a reminder that SoundCloud is distinct in both the artists who rely on it and in the fans who listen. Let's get back to the episode. The next artist we want to talk about here is the other case study you have, uh, Kilo Letitia. And this was an interesting one because you said it yourself, you're not going to necessarily cherry pick certain examples. You want to show the reality. And in this case, this is a case where her percentage of true fans had actually dropped when using fan power royalties, but the revenue went up. So that was very interesting to see that dynamic and how that was a little different than the Uzi example. Yeah, there's two points to unpack on this one. One, if you think about the classic marketing expression of throwing stuff at a wall to seeing what sticks, perhaps her campaign, and it's for the artist to explain what their intentions were, but perhaps her campaign was to just widen the fan base, you know, widen the funnel, and over time, looking at month by month over the years, nurture those passive fans into true fans. Dan, back to what I said earlier, with that fan-powered royalties model, you can do that because you can monitor the new fans coming in and how they transition between passive, moderate, if you want to have a middle ground, and true fans. Fan distribution has just entered the room. That's huge. The other thing with Kilo is that she used SoundCloud's own distribution platform, that is making music on SoundCloud and distributing it on SoundCloud and to the other streaming partners as well, the Spotify's and the Apple's. And it's just a small thing to toss out there, but I think it will resonate with your listeners. I'm very fond of saying, you know, when data scientists geek out about building dashboards and going to Tableau offsites, and I think we overdose on this. So I like to say any more than one dashboard is one dashboard too many. In the case of this artist distributing on SoundCloud, I was really fascinated to see that she just had one dashboard to service all of her needs. And that's pretty powerful, Dan. 
I have one dashboard telling me how I'm doing on SoundCloud and on Apple and on Spotify. Um, I'm not saying that's the future of the business, but I think you wouldn't find any artist or manager saying, I don't have enough dashboards. There's too many of them. We need to cull them and consolidate them. And uh, SoundCloud made that possible. So I'd like to see more of that elsewhere as well, not just on SoundCloud. This is something that I know even as non recording artists, podcasters, or you as a DJ yourself can probably relate to as well, because you have your Spotify for podcasters, you have your Apple Music for podcasters, there's all these different things, you have your newsletter, it can be cumbersome. And anyone listening to this, even if you're not a recording artist, you probably have some sort of form of dashboard overload. So there's a film from which was set in Scotland called Highlander. And the famous slogan of the film is, there can be only one. I think we should apply that to dashboards and data science. Right. You know, just give me one place to look to see everything I need so I can go on and keep on writing and recording music that makes people laugh, dance, and cry. One thing that we should talk about is the data that may or may not exist from the pro rata model or the streaming services that use that model because someone could listen to this and say, okay, well, I get my annual recap or wrapped at the end of the year from the streaming services. It tells me that I'm in the top 7% of Drake fans. It tells my friend that he's in the top 0.1% of Taylor Swift fans. Then if that data is essentially aggregated, then wouldn't that DSP, even if they're using a pro rata model, know what percentage of a particular artist streams came from what percent of fans? They would do, but let's think about where the breakdown of communication happens. Firstly, we're 23 years into streaming and it's still largely impossible for me to compensate my favorite artists directly. But in addition to that, I can't communicate with them either. But this is a point which is, even if the platform knows who your super fans are, what can you actually do to reach out and discuss with them? We still don't have comments on Apple, Spotify, or Amazon. This is probably a good time to chat about fraud because this was one of the really interesting things from the report about how this user-centric model can help prevent against fraud, which we know is a growing issue in the industry. Can you chat about that one? You have to understand what SoundCloud has done very ambitiously is launch fan-powered royalties on an opt-in basis. So you got to raise your hand and say, I'm down with that. Put me into the program. Give me the experiment. Uh, let me do my A-B test, whatever. But you're going to roll into this user-centric model. If you don't want to do it, well, you opt out. You stay on ProRata. So when I was working with SoundCloud, I sort of had this kind of four o'clock in the morning moment where I was like, wait a second, you're running duplicate systems, which means you can, you can look at the difference in the payouts. Artist X would have made so much more money on ProRata, so much less than user-centric, or vice versa. But the discrepancy is noticeable. Now, is that discrepancy the system or is that discrepancy revealing something else, which is fraudulent behavior? So the first point is the accidental sort of light bulb moment for me was the fact you've got both systems means you've got a great fraud detection tool because you have both systems. You can compare and contrast on a regular basis and flag where the discrepancy is too wide. The second thing that I give in the report, and I'm going to call it the the Hayduck page stream fraud matrix. The footnote to that expression is beat that as an independent company leading in this field of detecting and dealing with stream fraud. They find it, they expose it, and they deal with it for you. Great company. I said to Morgan this time last year, we got to explain fraud to an audience who doesn't understand it. So it has to be really easy. So don't give me any hour long speech here 
I need it on the back of an envelope. How can we disguise fraud to Dan Runcie if I'm, in, if I'm in an elevator with him in Austin, Texas in March, and I'm going to the fifth floor? So we developed this very, very simple tool, which is to look at fraud in three buckets. One, click farms. We know what they are. When you're told that your top city is Jakarta, Indonesia, and you've never toured there, there may be something about Jakarta, Indonesia driving those streams. It could just be one huge click farm. The second type of fraud is carbon copies, ghost tracks. And this report is now a year old, thrilled that we're out of the woods now showing it to the world, but carbon copies has accentuated with AI music. So you can have deep fake carbon copies going out onto the platforms. And then the third type of fraud, more serious one, and actually definitely illegal is account hacking, taking on dormant Facebook accounts. So you hold that in your head, you think one, two, three, A, B, C, click farms, carbon copies, account hacking. Then you look at how do the models compare in their exposure or insulation to fraud. So if a pro rata is very exposed to click farms and carbon copies, because there's a big pot of cash, and if you can steal as much of it before the five weeks is up and the invoices are sent out, then that's your money. It's a free for all. User-centric is very insulated because Dan Runcie's 11 bucks a month goes to just Dan Runcie's music and no click farm or carbon copy can affect that. When you go to account hacking, it flips. Now the Prorata model is insulated because you can account, hack all of these accounts but not actually affect where the money's going because it's all being pooled. Whereas user-centric is exposed. If I hack Dan's user-centric account and he's dormant, I can dictate where all his money goes back to my music. Now the key point is not to pick winners or losers. And the report doesn't say user-centric is a panacea, everybody should do what SoundCloud's doing. That would be naive, that would be dumb. You know, it wouldn't be worth even coming on your show to talk like that. The report is about learning, all right? We've changed the rules, let's learn about the game. And what you learn with this matrix, this beautiful matrix is, there is no silver bullet solution to fraud. Whatever model you propose, forcers are gonna fraud in different ways to get around it. So when we think about the industry overall, obviously we both know it would be very naive to even suggest that all the DSPs out there should be adopting a user-centric model. However, there still is a lot that can be learned from this. We talked about comments, we talked about that fan engagement. What are some of the ways that you think the broader industry can take note of this, even if they're not act, even if it's not directly happening through SoundCloud? What are some of those insights? There's a bundle in the report if I was to tease out a one and two for you. I think um, I think the intimacy factor trying to get a little bit closer to your fan base than what's the current connection between a fan and their music right now. It's probably three seconds. Flip the phone out, press play, put the phone back in the pocket and off you go. Trying to get that little bit closer to the fan base is one. And I think two, being able to segment fans. That point about fan distribution, you can't discuss fandom without discussing fan distribution. You can't discuss fan distribution on ProRata. That said, to allow the wider industry to think about fan distribution differently, I think this this is a real leg up the ladder of that conversation. So yeah, how do you want to segment your current fans? Or as I showed with a little Uzi case study, what about the new fans you generated in period two that weren't there in period one? What do they look like? That level of segmentation, that's pretty groundbreaking stuff. And um, yeah, it's just back to that dilemma of ProRata. What can you do on ProRata other than have coffee? Because all those fans are worth exactly the same as all those other fans as well. So, yeah, it's that direct link. Anything that can improve intimacy in this business is a good thing. And to tie this all together, 
we started this talking about the super fan discussion, how a lot of it can be broad strokes. A lot of it doesn't get to the meat of the issue itself. We understand why the rights holders and those bodies want to increase the level of having super fans. You actually were able to help distinguish this. And you have to imagine that if you're able to enable that intimacy, this isn't just about finding the top 7% of Drake fans and prompting them with a link to buy a t-shirt or buy a concert ticket. Yes, those are things that super fans often do, but you're able to increase this level of engagement, increase this intimacy. That's how you can tie the dots more. And there could be other things that can happen on that same platform that you can increase the value for the fans, the artists, and everyone involved. So it'll be really interesting to see where this goes and how it continues to develop. Let me just remind your audience of the gaming industry and the early adopter model, which dates back to Minecraft way back. We're talking decades here where the super hardcore gamers get early access to games before they're published. And the gaming industry does more revenue in what one month than streaming does in a calendar year. What are they doing right? You know, they're honoring those fans. I think with platforms like SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Apple, Amazon, they could explore that as well. Target your super fans and give them access. There may be a way of navigating the tricky privacy terrain there to make that happen. And I think that would be huge. That that would be a move forward. That would be breaking the mold. And they'd be willing to pay for it. Absolutely. Well, paying more than ten ninety nine after 23 years. Let's just remind, remind ourselves, even with the price rises, they're not keeping pace with inflation and they're not keeping pace with supply of content either. Well, Will, before we close things out, anything else that we wanted to cover or shout out about streaming fraud, about SoundCloud, Rockonomics, about the impact of this model? Well, I hope the, the work is received with an open mind. Um, I'm not advocating user-centric here. I'm not advocating SoundCloud here. I'm understanding how the game changed when one platform changed the rules. And we should be really allocating more of our time to these real-time studies with real changes in the business than speculative studies or retrospective discussions about how the business might have changed had we changed the rules back then. I think that's, that's what I'd like to see more in the debate is that we raise our game. Well, thanks again for your time with this. Well, thank you for everyone involved in making it available to publish a year after it was done. It's been in the museum for a long time, but now it's out for public display. So hopefully we can start discussing fan distribution, which allows us to explore what fandom really means in 2024. Better late than never. Will, thanks again. Thank you, Dan. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Send it to one or two people you think would really get value out of listening to this episode. And while you're at it, if you could rate and review the show, that would be great. Rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Rate the podcast on Spotify. Rate the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps make sure that the word gets out about Trapital and what we're building here. Thanks again for listening. Talk to you next time.